morning, church. How you guys doing? That song uh, reminds me of Nicole. You know, that was her last song she sang before she went to Hillsong. You know, I know we all miss her. I know her mom misses her. And uh, you know, I, I sent her an email uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, because she's like, she's on this uh, Hillsong choir now. So they're singing all these show tunes, you know. But uh, pretty cool. If you go online, search up Hillsong vocals, or you can find Nicole singing in the background back there. All right, so, so we're going to do the song. I know you guys are probably, a lot of new faces at Haven Church these days, um, you know, so I just want to welcome you here today, you know, and we just need to open our hearts, Lord, to, uh, to, to take in your spirit and let you move freely in this place. I know you guys probably know the song, but this song is uh, one of our favorite songs. We've been doing it for over a decade now, and uh, every time we do it, it has a new meaning to me and a new connection to the, to the spirit. You know, it's just a simple song that just, uh, you know, if you take all your problems down in the river, let them wash clean in your spirit. So let's stand up. Let's just focus on why we're here today. She's here to worship. Let's just, let's just open with prayer today. Can we do that? Let's go ahead. Lord God, we just um, want to be still right now. We just, I know that throughout this week, there are so many things that have distracted us. Um, there's, we know that Satan is alive and well. And um, there's so many attacks and so many things going on uh, around our community and our world. Um, but God, let us just bask in this time and just focus on who you are and um, what you want to tell us here today. And for that, we're just going to open up our hearts and our minds and let you uh, just touch us in the way you need to through your Holy Spirit. Let's just worship. Focus on worshiping and glorifying your name. In Christ's name.
Good. Welcome to Haven Community Church. We are glad to have you with here, us here today. If you are visiting with us, we hope that you will fill out one of the cards that you got coming in or stop back in the back um, after church. And we have got a small gift for you for attending. Um, if you fill out the card, drop it in the offering plate or bring it to us. That would be really great. And we hope you are blessed today by the service. Um, in your bulletin are the announcements as per usual. A um, couple things to highlight. There will be no confirmation class today. A number of folks are out, so next week that'll pick back up if you're a part of that. Um, today is the day to order Easter lilies. Um, you should have received a slip in your in your bulletin. If you want to order one, they're not only beautiful for the service on Easter, but they also can be given in honor or memory of someone. Um, they're $7 a piece, and if you're interested, uh, if you want to write a check, you can always drop them in the, in the bulletin uh, or in the offering plate. If not, uh, Jim, raise your hand. Um, you can either see my husband and, and do it online or do a, uh, what do you call it, credit card payment or whatever. Um, but today we need to try to get as many as we can today uh, because we only got a couple weeks left until we get close to that. So take, take advantage of that if you can. Um, announcement for Kate and Jake, um, Surf Fest, we're getting close, guys. I, I hope you all have it on your calendar for April 26th. Um, one great piece of news is we now have all the project managers for all the projects, so thank you everyone for that. Um, after church today, they'll be taking orders for t-shirts. Um, they'll $5 each, and I think you guys are going to be out this way, right? So um, if you're going to plug into that, please do um, stop there after church and, and take a look at that. I think that's um, all except for one more announcement, so why don't you come on up here for Footprints team. So thank you all for passing out the business cards last week. Today's week two of the footprints um, to bring people into the fold of Haven. So what I'd like to do real quick, if you have been invited by anyone to this church, please stand up. Is that ever? Ever, not just today, ever. Okay. 
Okay, so I think that speaks for itself. Look how powerful that is. Just by you giving out one business card and someone coming, it becomes a domino effect. So let's take care of that this week. Thank you. God bless. They'll be handing out cards. What I want you to do is uh, um, you might think, so those of you who grew up Catholic may think you're back in a Catholic church. I'm going to get you to stand again and just <laughs> greet the people around you, all right? Let's get back where we need to be. Always good to fellowship. One of the one of the uh, one of the crazy things about church. Yeah, you can stay standing up because I'm gonna make you stand up again. Uh, one of the things about church is we ne we never really have a lot of time to get to know people, and um, that's been one of the powers in the small group ministry through Transform. We've had an opportunity to get to know each other, and it's it's cool for me as a pastor to go ahead and see um, people who've never met, who never knew each other, reconnecting and connecting. It's, being happy to see each other. Isn't it nice to know that people are, like even if you're walking through Walmart or, or the grocery store, um, that you look up and somebody sees you and go, hey, like that, you know. I mean, it's a good thing, right? Unless you're done something illegal. Unless you're in your curlers like people of Walmart. So, all right. All right, let's, we're going to start one more time with a prayer because uh, this week I had two, I had a couple awesome occasions. I went to a friend of mine's Pentecostal church, and it was really kind of cool. Um, because it was supposed to be over at 9, and they had an evangelist from Atlanta, and he did not, they did not end, and people did not leave sometimes till 11.30 at night. Um, so God was just moving there, really moving there, and it was awesome. And then on top of that, I finished off the week with another thing, seeing people move all around. Melissa and I went and saw Casey and the Sunshine Band. And, um, and Casey is a little bit bigger. He said his name should be KFC in the Sunshine Band. Um, but he can still sing, so it was great. So, so you guys got a challenge, Pentecostals and K KFC in the Sunshine Band. All right, so let's see how you do. All right, so Lord God, we're, we're just here. We're going to commit the rest of this time to you. Whatever we got going on the rest of the day, we know one thing, it'll be there. Uh, we know that if we got concerns, guess what, they'll be there. We know if we got worries, we might have them here right now, but we ask in the name of Jesus they go away so we can hear clearly what you have to speak to us. And God, let us let go. Let, as, as Casey said, give it up. Let's give it up to you, God, um, and just go ahead and um, let's shake, shake, shake our spiritual booties. Amen. That's how you got to start church at Haven. There you go. We go back to the 70s, baby. <laughs> Is that like K-Tail? It's a blockbuster, yeah, solid right. gold. Silver Eagle seven. Records. Yeah. You guys have a LP sitting around your house? All right, well, I don't know about KC, but I know about what we're going to do right we now. We got JC. It's even better JC, than that, right? 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 Yeah, his name's Jesus. In case you don't know, his name's Jesus, and he's altogether awesome. Now available on K-Tel. Right, Put your hands together. From everlasting everlasting you are God 
everlasting, everlasting, you You're the God to shift things and unchanged by all the vanities of man. And as a nation tries to fall, your sovereignty remains. You are, you are, who is he? You are the one true God. Those who call upon your name And as the nations rise and fall Your sovereignty remains You are, you are You are the one true God Yeah, everlasting
Is always by 
Father, we just praise you and we thank you that uh, when the world looks like it's falling apart, that everything else around us seems like it's not making sense, that we know that we have angel armies and you control them all that, are, that we don't see, but God, they're there just at the call of, of your name. And we give you praise for who you are and for everything that you do for us. So God, now as our children go to Shoreline Ministry and we continue in the re- our Sunday School Shoreline Ministry and the rest of us continue here and just have what you have for us today. God, just bring a stillness and a peace so that we can hear what you have to say. And for that, we give you praise. And we give you all the glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen. Right, just a just a, a, a point of remembering um, as you come in and if you're new here today uh, or visiting we have um, some prayer requests in the back um, behind both lights on the ends um, if by some chance you have a prayer request and you um, forgot to write it down go ahead and do that we'll make sure Debbie gets it she'll get it on the prayer list uh, one of the other things that you can do is you can also uh, sign up for a prayer request and Debbie uh, right online and they come, they go to Debbie Debbie Chadwick right there Debbie um, and who um, who will get them out right away. And if you're not on the prayer chain or prayer list, uh, please go ahead and, um, and you can let Debbie know that way as well. All right? Okay. Um, some of our prayers. Um, John and Amanda Larson are praying for Mary, who is having complications with her pregnancy and is being told she has to deliver two months early. So we want to lift her in prayer. Um, Robbie Rates Jr. joining the armed forces, and may the Lord be with him and, the, and others. Uh, Jake, um, praying for his Uncle Chuck, who goes to the Dr. Tuesday for an ongoing irregular heartbeat. For everyone, uh, this is a good one, for everyone pr- uh, participating in the trans, they're all good, um, but for um, everyone participating in the transform study and learning how to be more like Christ, um, many of us are being attacked by the enemy who doesn't want to release his hold on us, praying that all will hold strong and keep pushing, uh, pushing forward despite Satan's attacks. That's a, that's, I mean, I can tell you that's what happens. Um, several people you've heard me say, trans, uh, the transform study, people are loving it, but transformation is not always the most pleasant experience because God needs to get us where, we, where we, he needs us to be. And Damien said um, she has a praise. She's been at Haven for about a year now and feels so blessed to have found this place. And we're, uh, where is she? Up oh, there she is. Okay, over there. So we're glad you're here too. And you have that cute little baby running around here. All right, so those are our prayer requests. Do we have any other brief ones that we need to lift up? Um, all right. Okay, just continue to, to pray for for um, God to just be revealed to more people. We uh, In a couple weeks, uh, it will be Easter. Hard to believe Easter was done, was gone with last year um, at this time, but um, it's late, I guess you would say. But um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity with the Footprints team. I pray for everybody who takes those cards because that you just give them to people because now's the time of year where people are looking where to go. Um, so we, we hope that they'll come here and we have for one of our three services. Let's pray. 
uh, Lord God, we just thank you once again for who you are and um, for calling us to be here today as this place called Haven. Uh, Haven got, has its name because it's a safe place, a place where people can come and connect to you. Um, and God, be strengthened and to, to just really know who you are. And so, Lord, right now, as you fill this place even more so with your Holy Spirit, we just ask that uh, whatever it is that, that is going through our life, we had a tough winter. For some of us, it may be depression. For some of us, it may be concerns. For some of us, it may be health issues that were shared. Um, for others, it just may be a praise that we're just so excited that um, you have brought us to a place where we feel strong with you. For others who I know who are going for tests, God, um, I know there's several people who have been going through tests that I've talked to the last couple weeks. Doctors and staff can't figure out what's going on. But God, we know that you know, and we know that you're a healing God, and we just claim healing on their body, on their on people's minds, and on their, their emotions. We're going to talk about, uh, we talked about emotions, and we're going to talk about relational uh, health today, and how God just many of our hurts and our pains are due to broken relationships with others and also with you. And so whatever it may be that we need, we know that, Lord, you, you know that need and you can meet to it. You can meet it uh, the way we need, not the way we want, but the way we need. And God, let us be reminded that in this next act, this act of offering is an act of worship. It's not a time to be distracted. It's not a time to just non-focus. But through this, this is an important part of worship that we return back to you a portion of what we feel grateful to give through our tithe, what you call us to give, and through our offerings, what we want to give above and beyond, God. Just anoint these, and as you did so long ago, there are so many ministry needs in this community. I could be as wealthy as Bill Gates and still not be able to scratch the surface, but God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you call us to be faithful in this ministry. And so help us just extend our worship by anointing and sending your Holy Spirit on these gifts and tithes, multiply them and use them to further your kingdom here and around the world. But we give you, ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, before we get started on this uh, next song, it's kind of a prelim to the song and uh, prelim kind of what Jack's going to talk about today for the service. Um, hopefully, I'll make it through this little talk here real quick. Um, yeah, already breaking down. Uh, first, I'd like to apologize to some of the people in the church that have probably seen me in some of my worst ways. Uh, uh, for those of you who are new, have never heard me say this, uh, I'm bipolar, and uh, uh, mental illness is not something that's usually talked about a lot. Uh, I'm probably one of the more vocal ones that uh, do talk about it. me crazy if I don't, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the only sane one. Uh, I've, uh, I've actually been having some medication issues, and I just switched meds this week, um, and I can lay blame to a lot of my actions, um, which is really easy to do on medication, uh, which I think a lot of people that suffer from it have a tendency to do, uh, but being a Christian and uh, seeing what this church is going through and what Jack and I have talked about. Uh, and what my friends, uh, my brothers and sisters here uh, are kind enough to tell me uh, through their words and their actions to let me know that how Satan is uh, utilizing my own illness 
attack others and attack the church. One of the, my own personality traits, for those of you that do know me, um, is that not only do I wear my emotions on my sleeves, I'm a, not only a kind of a big physically stocky guy, I don't hold my mouth shut too easily. And uh, I have a tendency to tell people what I think when I think it, be it right or wrong. So if, uh, if I think somebody's wrong, whether they are or not, I'm usually going to tell them. So if Satan's having its fun time with me at the time, it makes its way on down the line pretty quick. So if I'm in a weak frame of mind mentally, uh, it, it makes his attack. So long story short, he's been finding his way through there pretty quick. So uh, through a change of medication and through a uh, little bit of a, a purge through this week and some, uh, some prayer and uh, purging of the soul with this morning. I think I'm in the right place. Okay. Awesome. We love you, man. Alright. Give me a show of hands. Who needs to be rescued? Who needs Jesus to come to your rescue right now? You know what? It's just we all need rescue. That's just that's the bottom line. We all do. I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. Capture me with grace. I will follow.
Just stop right now where you are and just, um, if you need Jesus right now, just kind of reach out. I mean, some of you don't want to lift up your hands. Just, just kind of where you are, just reach out and grab him. He's here and he's present, and he just wants to minister to you today. Just wants to love on you. Just wants to heal your hurts and the confusion. Just reach out and touch him. And Lord, we need you. And I'm just going to ask that we sing that, um, that chorus one more time as we're just reaching out to Jesus. Just don't worry about anybody. Just close your eyes around you and just focus on him. And I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. Capture me with grace. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right, good morning, Haven Church. You can do better than that, right? Good morning. All right, that sounds much better. You know, it's, it's just really cool how, um, you know, you've, you go through times and you recognize that Satan is alive and well and you wonder where God is in it all. And then when you um, really see God, you see how God brings healing and restoration. And it's perfect that um, with these things, some of the things Fred shares, some of the things that, um, that go on in the life and ministry of church and in the world, that today is a good day for relationships. I'm just going to start to see if this is a, another valuable message for anybody. Um, does anybody have any relationships that could use a good dose of restoration? Anyone? Um, and has anybody ever had one that needs a good dose of restoration? There we go. Okay. So, um, welcome to Transformed. That's what we've been doing for the last several weeks. And uh, we've been looking at transforming key areas of our lives. And we looked the first week at spiritual health. We looked at physical health, um, we looked at mental health, and um, last week we looked at emotional health. And that was the sermon I told you I did not want to speak at all, until this week. I don't want to speak this one either. Because uh, so this week we're going to look at relational health, um, transforming our relationships, how to make our relationships better. And what we want to do is we, we want to, you know, we could talk all year about relationships. Many people do. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about is how we diffuse or deal with the fears that tend to wreck our relationships. And um, we have so many of them. And in order to do so, we are going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're going to go back to the beginning, to the original couple, Adam and Eve, because that's where all the problems started. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve. Um, just think about it. If it wasn't for them messing up, we'd all be sitting here naked. I understand there are some churches in, in the world that you can do that. I will never be a pastor of that church. And you are all very thankful for that. That's right. Um, so uh, when we look at this, it's really cool that God created the entire universe. And then he decided to create man and woman because he wanted a family. We wouldn't be here if God didn't want a family. He wanted to go ahead and create them. And he, did, he created them special. Yeah, he had animals and stuff. But we were created. He said, let's create Man, man and woman, let's create them in our, in our image. Talking about the image of, of God and the, the divine uh, triune God. And so we're created with a purpose. We're special than everything else that was created. So he made Adam in the Garden of Eden a perfect paradise. And he could have everything he ever wanted, except Adam was lonely as well. And so uh, God made Adam there. He put him together. And I think God did that 
in two ways. He wanted him to see the need to live out his own life. And importantly, I think God, I think God said, you know, here's Adam. He's pretty good, but I can do better. So God created a woman, right? And after he did that, after a while. Uh, God made Adam out of dust and dirt. That's why you guys like dust and dirt and why little boys like to roll around in the mud um, and dirt. And mostly uh, you ladies don't. Um, but think about it. You ladies were created from a rib. We were created from dirt. Uh, so, so if you look at your, uh, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, your son, I mean your son or your father, you can say you're dirty. Um, and you can go through that. And you're just ribby. Uh, whatever that means. Uh, but there's some great symbolism in this. And I remember seeing a poem years ago. You notice that God did not create a woman from Adam's feet so he could stomp all over. He didn't create her from his head so she could dominate him um, mentally or anything. But he took her from his rib, the side, so that they could be exactly what God intended, a helpmeet, somebody to come alongside him and, and they, they could work together. And think about Adam. Adam's just cruising along in this paradise. He's a little lonely. He's petting his dog and talking to the sheep and whatever, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's picking some fruit because he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have any work. Just kind of hanging around with his naked self. Nothing to do. Just enjoying life, but really messing. And he falls asleep. When he falls asleep, God takes out his rib. He's still like, you know, he was... He didn't have a pants to stick his hand in. So, uh, so he was standing there, sitting there, sleeping somewhere. And then he wakes up, and God says, look what I made for you. And here's Eve, nice and naked. And Adam probably said, whoa! Whoa! Whoa, man! That's where he got the name, woman! There we go. All right. Pretty awesome, huh? Um, think about it. During this time, though, there was no sin. There was no sadness. There was no sickness, no sorrow, no, no depression, no deceit, no lying, no manipulation, no jealousy, none of that. They had the perfect relationship. They didn't even have belly buttons. Figure that one out. Right? You didn't think about that, did you? Unless God just went, boop, boop, right? You know, they didn't have no need for it. It was perfect. None of these things ever affected their relationship. It was awesome. It wasn't there. Can you imagine having your relationship with no anger, no frustration, no arguments, no I didn't do the honey-do list, no, no that I was supposed to do this, and I didn't, no, in, no mixed-up interpretation of what he or she is saying, no Mars-Venus situation. <laughs> Gary's in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, you, you know, that didn't exist. And try to fathom what a relationship, what your relationship would be like without that. And yet, this was what was going on here. And so it was incredible that they had this until God says, hey, you know, you can eat from any fruit except. Now, I don't know about you, but when I tell my kids, you can have all this but, what do they want? That. It's like they go, right there, heat seeking mission. I want it, I'll get it, I'll take it, and I'll say, where'd it go? I didn't do it, and they got crumbs all over the face or whatever else. And Adam and Eve did this, and we talked a little bit about them last week, kind of going through some of this. Here was Satan through the serpent saying, 
didn't God say that you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? No, that was a lie. Of course God hadn't said that. But he's using that minimal temptation. Everything is within our limits, except for this. Just one tree off limits. God gave an awesome choice, but that one tree stood out. And so Satan says, God's lying to you. God's lying to you. He knows that if you take from that tree, that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know what? He didn't really lie. Because up to this point, when God created everything, after God created everything, if you don't believe me, go back and read the beginning of Genesis. It says when God created something, he said, this is good. There was no bad to be created. There was no concept of negativity. And so here he is, he's saying you can eat all this, and Satan says, well, you know, if you take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But you know, most of us just stop at that first temptation. You will be like God. And really that's where all sin and temptation begins to come to a basic issue. And it's simply this, I want to be God. I want to be God in my life, in my spiritual life. I want to be God in my life, in my physical life. I want to be God of my life, in my mental life, and in my, in my uh, emotional life. And I want to be God in my relational life as well. Satan pretty much tells us the same thing he did back then. You'll be like God. You, you know better than God about you. You see, God's old-fashioned. He's out of date. He doesn't really know what it takes to make you really happy. So you should do this because that will make you happy and you will be God. And then we learn that Eve fell for that line, but Adam was right next to her. And when we look at this scripture, I just want to pick this up again really quickly and just kind of go back through this. I don't believe we have all the slides for this, but I just kind of want to go through some of these. We see that Eve ate some of the fruit. She also gave some of it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. Key term there. Ladies, look at your husbands or somebody else and say, with her. Guess what? Adam was not back hanging out with his sheep or the dogs or anything else. He was right there with her and did not say a word. Remember I shared with you, I think it was last week, how, how we work through things? When we are tempted and when we, something that we're not sure that's good for us, women by and large will analyze every aspect of that. They will get in a conversation. They will figure out what's good. The men just says, hmm, looks good to me. Give it to me. I'll find out how it worked for you. Hmm, I'll eat. And that's exactly what happened. Not much different today. Am I right? If I'm right, say Amen. There we go. Uh, so that's how it works. And so when we look at this, she says, she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt the shame at their nakedness. This is where shame enters the world. There was no shame before. There had never been any shame, no guilt prior to this. So they sewed fig leaves to cover, to cover up themselves, then they heard the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from God among the trees. But God called to Adam, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you coming and I was afraid. Notice fear. There was no fear until this point. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you weren't afraid of anything? Afraid of nothing at all. He said, because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam said, you gave me this woman. I'm glad you see that. Didn't you love that? You gave her to me. He went from woe man to, you know, get her. And she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And God said to Eve, why did you do this? Eve replied, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me. In other words, because you didn't do what I told you to, 
there's going to be a curse now. Everything's broken. One of the things that's going to be broken is childbirth. He says, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. How many of you have given birth or seen someone give birth? Would you say, thanks, Eve? Okay. And then, and you'll desire your husband. In other words, you're going to love and, and want your husband. But here's what's going to happen. He's going to lord over you. In other words, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be domination issues. There's going to be struggle for power. There's going to be a struggle from relationship. You see, God created male and female to journey through life together. From that point is where the battle of the sexes began. From this point on, it began to, to uh, in, mostly throughout history, began to treat women as property. They're not your property through life. God created you to work together through life, to have somebody who's there with you walking through life. And throughout history, the church has been one of the greatest institutions for keeping male dominance and keeping women down from their God-gifted abilities. Wrongly. And then God said to Adam, guess what? Because you disobeyed me and sinned with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. And though you'll eat what you planted, your fields will have weeds, thorns, and thistles. How many have ever tried to get rid of weeds, thorns, and thistles? If that was corn, we would never have to farm the ground at all. Am I right? Guess what? I am so tired of weeds, thorns, and thistles in my life. There would be no weed eaters. There would be, you, you just have nice grass and nice plush stuff. But because Adam did this, you got all that junk. And for the rest of your life, you'll have to sweat and work hard to get your food until you yourself are returned to the dirt that I created for you. Isn't that interesting? God says, you know what? You're going to bust your tail all the days of your life. And what you're going to have at the end of this, because of what you did is you're going to be dirt. You're going to be dirt. It's a fascinating story filled with an, an enormous spiritual truth in it. But I want to point out the relational truths that exist here. So let's get into this today. Again, those of you who are visiting with us, you have your bulletin right there. And I hope you'll go ahead and take a good look at that. Um, if you're, if you're techno-savvy techno and you have one of those QR code things, hit that and you can go ahead to our Facebook page and post anything you want there. And it would be good um, so we can look back at this. But the things we're going to deal with is how our fears wreck our relationships. And the first thing that we're going to do is, right underneath that, is number one, the first fear we learn is this, the fear of exposure. That's the first thing, the fear of exposure. And you can add a dash to this and add this on that same line. The fear of exposure makes me distant. The fear of exposure, and we have a slide that says makes me distant. It will make me distant. Okay? The fear of exposure makes me distant. Have you ever wondered sometimes why I can't get, you say, why can't I get close to people? I'd like to be closer to my wife. I'd like to be closer to my husband. I'd like to have that intimacy, that soul passionate intimacy of partnership. Why can't I get close to people in my life? Because the fear of exposure makes me distant. And here's the truth. And if we're really honest, so I want you to be really honest with yourself. There is a lot about you that you do not like. There's a lot. You don't like it about you, and because you don't like it about you, you certainly don't want anybody else to know because they won't like it about you as well. And if you deal with that, the fear is that you won't be accepted by others. And I've seen and I've dealt with so many broken people in their lives because they've been covering up something that they don't like about themselves. 
and for fear that if somebody finds out this is what happens, and it's a great tool of the enemy, if somebody finds this out, it's going to ruin everything. Rather than going and accepting help and being vocal. You know, the church used to be a place where people came and held each other accountable. One of the things that they would do is they would come and they meet together and they'd spend the first however long it took, usually in small groups, sharing about how they failed God this week or something called discipleship denied. If we went around the room today and shared at least one thing that we failed God on, we would probably be here, if, if, I, if I'm estimating right, probably be here for a couple hours, maybe all day. And that's just me. We all have a long laundry list. And, but now we've adapted to this realm where we want to cover it up, put on good smiley faces, and keep trying to press it down. Because if that gets out, it's going to be a problem. So what I do, I separate myself from people. In Genesis chapter um, 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, God called Adam, why are you hiding? And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Let me say a couple things. Whenever God asks you a question like this, and he asks Adam, look at what he asks. He asks two questions, and I want you to ask those. First thing God asks Adam is, where are you? Now, God was not blinded that he didn't know where Adam was. I think more importantly, he was asking, where had Adam gone to? Because when we are afraid of exposure, we begin to, it, it changes us. It changes how we think about things. And so, he asked Adam this question, where are you? And the second question is, why were you hiding? God never asked a question that he doesn't know the answer. He knew both those answers. He wasn't asking it for his own benefit. He was asking the question for Adam's benefit because he wanted Adam to own up. He wanted him, as they say, man up. He wanted Adam to do something that is very difficult in our society today, to take responsibility for the fact that he had run away and is hiding. Any, I'm going to say this, and I want you to get this. I don't have a blank on this, but I think it's an important statement. Any transformation in any area of your life, including relationships, only happen in the fact that you own up to your own responsibility, that you haven't been who you ought to be. As long as you think, I've got a great marriage, and it can't get any better. I've got great friendships. They're not going to get any better. It's fine. And as long as you're in denial, there is no recovery. There's no transformation. So it starts with owning up and being honest to God and being honest with yourself about that my relationships are not what they could be. They could be a whole lot better. I want you to circle the phrase there on your bulletin, I was afraid and I hid. Because they go together, being afraid and hiding. Fear always causes us to hide. So ask yourself the question, what are you hiding from today because you're afraid? What are you pretending not to know? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your marriage? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your life? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationships because you're afraid of fearing the truth? God does not want you to, uh, to fake it at all. God wants you to face it. What are you pretending not to know? I was afraid and I hid. Also circle this phrase, I was naked. Everybody say that with me. Didn't expect to say that today, did you? What does it mean to be naked? It's talking more than just physical nakedness. There's an emotional nakedness. 
To be naked means, and any time in Scripture they talk about um, being naked, it means that you're exposed. It means you're vulnerable. It means that uh, you're, you're out in the open. There's nothing to be seen, that, nothing to be hidden. It means you're unprotected. And how many of you really, really like to be vulnerable in life? Anybody? Not many of us like to be vulnerable. Vulnerability leaves us out in the open. And so, one of the things that I've found in my life is one of our deepest needs in life is to be loved. Even people who say, I I don't need anybody, I don't need any love, I don't need this, they want to be loved. They want to have a relationship. And one of your deepest fears is being seen for what you really are. Do you guys, uh, anybody remember the days where you actually had to go and ask somebody out for a date? Now they just text and email and social network. You know, you can, you can get turned down online. Which I'm like, that's cheap. Go. You know, but like where you had to get muster up and you're all nervous and you're like, yeah. but because you know you're, and why were you nervous? You're afraid of getting shot down. When you eventually got through those fears, you recognize more fish in the sea kind of thing, correct? But that first deal, you're kind of like, you're rehearsing it. Hi there. You know, you're even deepening your voice. Hi, how are you? And you're, you're practicing it, and you're already in the, you know, hello, how are you? And you're, hello, how are you? Uh, and you're, you get this kind of stuff, and then you finally ask, and you get shot down, and you call them names when you're walking away. No, uh, but sometimes it's just that fear because you have your own insecurities, and that's a vulnerable way to get shot down and get hurt. And you never had, what I recognized along the line was if I didn't take a chance, I never had the possibility of a relationship because guess what? There were, I, I, found, I actually found out there were some decent-looking girls when I was growing up that liked me, but they didn't want to ask me because I thought I would, and I thought they didn't want me. How wrong was I? You know? I, so why? Because I was naked in who I was. I was vulnerable, and I don't like the feeling of vulnerability. I was, when we are afraid of nakedness, we're afraid of vulnerability, we're afraid of being open, we're afraid of being honest, we're afraid of letting people see who we are. My fear of exposure makes me distant. So what I do, I don't tell anybody anything. When I'm hurting and I know I'm more vulnerable in my mind, I go ahead and I set walls up to protect myself. And that way I don't have to deal with anybody. But meanwhile, I create this storm because last, if we go back to a couple weeks, my mind starts to play tricks on me. And it affects my relationships because when I start to believe what I think I am is what other people think they are, it makes, it makes a big mess. So one of our deepest needs is to be loved. I want you to notice that the damage that fear does to your relationship. There are three stages or three phases, and we're going to go through these three phases, uh, what fear does to relationship. And the first thing is it brings shame. <clears throat> it brings shame. Every time I hear that term shame, I want to sing that shame, 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 shame on you. Anybody know that? Watch the news? Sorry. Um, okay. The first phase is shame. Just forget that. We'll delete that from the um, video. Um, write that down. Shame. Look at verse 7. Once they disobeyed God, the first thing that entered the relationship immediately was shame. It says they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. When you carry shame you are easily embarrassed. When you carry shame, your fear of embarrassment trumps almost anything else. Shame makes me more self-conscious. 
Shame makes me more nervous. Shame makes me feel being more humiliated. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to avoid that at all costs. Shame means I'm easily mortified because if you have any of those things in your life, it means that uh, you haven't given to God and you're afraid that he's going to see and others are going to see. So phase one that they felt and we feel is shame. The next thing, which I believe is the most popular today, is cover up. It covers, we, we cover up when we're trying to conceal who we really are, our true selves. This is in the second part of, C, of verse 7. It says, so they sewed fig leaves together, together to cover themselves. Have you ever seen a fig leaf? Anybody ever seen a fig leaf? A fig newton, yeah. It's about the size of a fig newton, okay? Um, but fig leaves are not very big. So they had to do a lot of work to cover up all this. You know what I mean? And we spend a lot of our energy in life doing a lot of this to, co- to cover up a lot of this. And, you know, we don't do it with fig leaves anymore. We do it with other things. Uh, there's so many other things that we do. What ways do we cover up? Some do that with humor. This is one of my great tools. If I'm hurting, I cover up with humor, and I joke around so that you don't have to see my hurt. Okay? I, if I feel bad about myself, I'll cut on myself so that it makes acceptable. Anybody done this? Okay? So humor is one of those ways we do it. We can be the class clown, but really we're broken inside. So we use humor to not anybody get too close to them. You know, you, how can you tell that when you're in a really serious situation and somebody's always doing jokes to the point where it's like, what's going on here, right? You may try to cover up by presenting an image that you've got it all together. You've got the right clothes, the right accessories, the right hair, you drive the right car, you say the right things, you do the right words. Some of us do it online. When you look at someone's Facebook or Instagram, they create an online image that looks like everything's together. You can look on Facebook and their lives look perfect. You read their Instagrams and there's nothing but fun and everybody wants to date them. They're really cool. Stop pretending you've got a perfect life. I want to ask yourself, if, how many of you are on so, any form of social networking? If you really took pictures and posted about what was going on in your life this week, you want to have some fun, just throw it out there this week. And you're like, I'm not doing that. Um, because there would be more of the struggles. And, so, and that, you talk about being really naked and vulnerable. Throw it out there big time. And not many say, no, 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 no. I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, and there's a third phase. So we cover up. I mean, so many of us cover up with all kinds of things. Some people cover up by, by shopping and buying, um, whatever you may say. Um, we move from shame to cover up. And then we move to another phase. And this is distance from God. Notice that in verse 8, it said they hid from God among the trees. Up to this point, God and Adam and Eve just used to walk through the garden together, just used to hang out, spend time together, walking, 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 um, doing nothing. So distance from God. Verse 8. There used to be a book called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Really Am? And that's a good question. Why am I afraid to tell you who I really am? The answer to that question was the reason, about the reason why I'm afraid to tell you who I am is this, because if I shared who I am really, then you may not accept me. And then I'm up the creek without a paddle. You know, if I put on an image, I can portray to you anything I want to be. 
Some people can say, Jack, you're the, you're the happiest guy. You have no issues. I, you, when I see you, you're always smiling. You're always caring about other people. But I can tell you there's parts of my life, and there's a lot of my life, where I'm down and I'm upset and I'm frustrated and I'm hurt. That's a lot of what goes on in me because I'm going through this transformation myself. And in doing so, I, you know, at times I put on, and I, like Fred had mentioned today, you can usually tell with my face. Um, you can tell when I'm mad, you can tell when I'm frustrated, you can tell when I'm upset, and those things happen. It, it, it takes on my life, and I try, as I try, as I try to put on the good face. And sometimes I'm successful about that. Sometimes I'm really good, other times I'm not. One of the things is, in this, uh, as we look at this, they hid from God in the trees, and it caused them to be disconnected from God. We're disconnected with God at times, and that's why we have a relationship problem with God. You ever have those times in your life where you feel that God is 8 billion light years away? That, you know, there's those other times where God feels so close and you feel so close to Him. And there's those other times where you begin to wonder, was that just a figment of my imagination or are you even here? Where, where are you, God? Are you God? We go through those things. Because of what we're going through and how we... And most of those times, what I find out is because we're spending a lot of time hiding, hiding uh, in the trees from God. We've covered ourselves up. We've patched ourselves up. We've hidden. We have this. So that's, those are the three areas that we have fear. So the next thing, that's the three phases. The next thing that we have here of how our fear ruins our relationships or wrecks our relationships is this. The fear of disapproval. The fear of disapproval. And what we find out, disapproval has this effect on us. Disapproval makes me defensive. Disapproval makes me defensive. Anybody deal with things defensively? Okay. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> we move from simply hiding and running and covering up, but then we move to actively attacking people. We're not just hiding. Now we're just hurling and throwing things at people. From this stage now, we have a fear of disapproval, and I start to point the finger at everybody else. And you hear people say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you did that, and they did this, and that person told me, and this, and... Sound familiar? And we start to do that. The more critical person you are is probably the, more, the person that you are more fearful of disapproval from others. Let me say that again. The more critical and the more perfectionist and the more attacking, the more attacking someone else, they're usually putting someone else down, probably is because you're dealing with more fear of disapproval. That's the way it shows up. The more fear of disapproval in my life, the more I'm going to point at other people. The more I'm going to blame other people in my life. You know, there's an example, and I've seen this time and time and time again as I, in, in life. The people who are on television, who, come, who are uh, commenters or um, deal with stuff on TV, the people they attack the most is most for them dealing with their own issues. I've seen time after time pastors who take an issue or a group or something and speak out the most against it. It's what they struggle with the most. Time and time and time again. Um, we've had people who, who go out and, and scream about how weak-minded people who are involved with drugs are. And then you find out a couple months down the road, guess what? They're dealing with their own addiction. You have people that deal with all kinds of sexual sins and guess, and they point the finger at people and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, which they may be. But guess what? You find out just a few times down the road that they're struggling with the same thing. 
Why? Because it takes a lot of effort to cover stuff up. And then when you struggle with dealing with it and you close yourself in, you go point the finger at somebody else. It's easy to criticize. I found that in my life with, with many times people who are um, not happy with me, who point the finger at me all the more, that what I find out with them is that they're struggling with some of the same things that they point the finger at me for. We see in verse 12 where the serpent says, uh, where God says, did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam says, he didn't answer yes or no. He says, uh, this woman that you gave me. And he's not blaming Eve. Who's he blaming? God. How many of us have ever done that? You know, God gets all the blame and none of the credit. When we do something awesome and get recognized, we say, yes, thank you. You know, yeah, I worked hard for this. And you may have. But you're only in the position you are because God allowed that. He blamed not only his wife, but he blamed God. You gave me this woman. If you hadn't made this woman, you and me, God, we wouldn't be like this. It's that woman's fault. I'd be really close to you if it wasn't for that woman, that wife, that you gave me, God. She seduced me and you made her naked. How dare you? I'm a guy. I just think. I look. It just happens. It's your fault, God. Why would you make him look like that? <laughs> Blaming God. Blaming God. He's passing on the blame. And remember a couple weeks ago, I, I started this by saying, blame is about this. You spell blame, be lame. You're being lame when you're blaming. Take ownership. And I got to tell you, ladies, Eve wasn't innocent in this. She starts to do the same thing. In Genesis 13, Eve says this. That serpent deceived me and ate it. So Adam blames his wife and God. And Eve blames the snake or the serpent, which in turn she's blaming God because God created that too. So who gets the raw deal in all this? God. This happens in your marriage and your relationships all the time. If anybody says anything to you, your wife says something to you that you feel is a hint of disapproval, you immediately get defensive. I do this all the time. And I know very quickly when I've done it because I get the look. You know what I mean, guys? And she'll say, wait, make sure you get this. And I say, I got it. Uh Uh-oh. Because it's not about her. It's about what's going on in here. Or what's going on in here. Or what's vulnerable here. This happens all the time. The other night, my son came home and wanted to go to uh, church with some friends of his. And before I even heard what he was asking, he said, "Um, can you take me? I said, I got plenty of stuff to do. You know, it wasn't like he said, hey, I'm going to go snort some coke tonight, Dad. Would you mind helping me? But he could. And, I was, and then, guess what? If he said that, I probably would say, wait, wait, wait a second. Let me, let me put this aside. Because you know what? That stuff I have to do isn't important if my son's going to go snort coke. But my son wants to go to church and I have that reaction. Am I stupid? Yes. I said, so wait, wait a second. And it needed my wife to say, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? I said, I don't know. I said, wait, come here. Yeah, I'll take you. I'll pick you up. It'll be good. And guess what? It was good for me, too. Guess what? That work was still there. Guess what? That work still got done. Guess what? The stuff that didn't get done will still be there. Guess what? My son wanted to go 
as a 15-year-old, almost 16-year-old, to go be in the presence with Christians. Why should I care what I've got to do? Something's a little off kilter here. You agree? How many things in your life are you sitting around hiding and covering up and dealing with and lashing back out at because your fear of disapproval makes you defensive? The third thing. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. Woo, I just stepped on some toes there, didn't I? Shake them off. There we go. Um, my fear of losing control, it makes me demanding. Makes me demanding. The result of Adam and Eve's sin is this. They lost control. They lost control of everything. They lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny. They got kicked out of paradise. And they're feeling totally out of control. You know why? Because they were. They weren't controlling anything at this point. Their fear made them lose control of everything. Let me say this. This is another thing I want you to to, to jot down. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more out of control I feel, the more controlling I become. I start bossing everyone around. I start making demands. I start protecting myself. I start defending demanding, demeaning, I start uh, dominating. The more insecure you are, the greater need to get your way. I will give you an example. Have you ever seen anybody who has spent an extended time or or they're not happy, and I know we have some nurses and medical staff here, somebody who's in a hospital bed and has no control over what's happening with them? Have you ever had people that are just completely like the devil sitting in a bed just barking out orders saying the most ruthless nasty confusing anybody ever seen this it could be your own parents and they will tell you that you're the most ungrateful nasty individual and they will treat you horrible and you will you will look at them and go what is wrong with you and you look at your kids and you say if i ever get that way just take me out just take me out right now just punch me knock me out get me rid of you know what i'm saying here and why, and I found this out when I, was a, when I did some chaplaincy in the hospital a year, because they have no control over everything else. What they do have control over this, and they think they have control over you, and even if they don't, they're going to make your life hell by demanding. Am I right, medical staff people? Right. Because that's their, all their control. So they want to do that. The more their lives are out of control, they don't want to sit in a hospital bed, they don't want to waste away, they have plans dreams, visions. And so now, if my life's miserable, I'm going to make it miserable for everybody who walks in the door. You know, you can walk in the door and you can say, hey, how's it going? And they'll say, it sucks. You're like, oh, I want to go back out, you know. And that's nice to what they say, am I right? It has everything to do with what's going on in them and their fears than what it has to do with you. Because our fears make us lose control. If you're a secure person, You don't need to have it your way all the time. You don't. But if you're insecure, you've got to have it your way all the time. Advertising appeals to our insecurity all the time. Have it your way. We'll take care of you. You can have it done. You don't like it that? We'll change it for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. It gives us power. It gives us influence. We like that. The more out of control you you feel, the more controlling you become. Look at verse 16 where God says to Eve, You'll have yearnings for your husband. In other words, you're going to love your husband even though you're both messed up. But he will lord over you. The Berkeley version, it says he will lord over you. The Berkeley version says this, he will dominate you. Again, this is where the battle of the sexes occurred. There would be no men are from Mars, women are from Venus if it wasn't for this. 
two planets came crashing together in this verse of Scripture. All the confusion, all the conflicts, all the jockeying for positions of power and authority, all that goes back to this situation, sin. Sin just means missing the mark of what God intended. Relationship is not, a relationship that's always a battle and conflict is not a fun relationship. I've seen people who just are, it's like World War III every day, and I'm like, how do you do it? How can you stand it? What's going on here? And we, we create it more so. Why? When you're not cooperating, you're competing with each other. And if you'd like to move from competition to cooperation in your marriage, why don't you do that? Where, where you're, you're not fighting against each other, but fighting with each other. So what's the antidote that transforms that relationship? The an, it's, it's relieved in these ways. The antidote to the fears is this. It's love. It's love. Write this down. Learn to live in God's love. Learn to live in God's love. That's the antidote. I must live in God's love. In, you don't have this uh, in your bulletin, but I want you to just jot this down on the side, and we have it up on the screen. In the letter 1 John chapter 4, verses 18, the beginning part, John writes this. Wherever God's love is, there is no what? Fear. Because God's perfect love does what? Drives out fear. God's perfect love drives out fear. Write that down. No fear. You remember those things that used to have the shirts? No fear. No fear. Guess what happens? When God's perfect love comes in the front door, fear bolts out the back door. They're never in the same place, God's, God's love and fear. One goes out the back door because God's perfect love drives out. It doesn't say it holds its hand and says, come on, let's make it better. It says, it says get out of my house. And so... When, if you're afraid, which we're all afraid of something, whether we want to realize it or not, you need more of God's perfect love to say, get out of my house. And as I find out, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's God's house. And when God comes in you with the Holy Spirit, he says, let me tell you, you got some fearful areas that are changing your life here, Jack. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to line it up, and I'm going to drop kick it if you'll let me. And most of the time, we're like, no, no, hold on to it. Hold on to it because it's a safe area. I need that. I've had that. You don't know what happened to me, God. God says, I don't care. I love you, and my love is greater than all that. Let me punt this sucker and let you get on with life. And so that's what God does. The antidote to our fears is the love of God. The opposite of fear is not faith, it's love. When you let fear in your front door, let, when you let uh, fear in the front door, love goes out the back. So let love in and kick fear out. So how do we do this? How do we learn to live in God's love? How do we do that? Um, in several different ways here. And um, I want to go ahead and look at this. To do this, I want to look at the second verse. First part of that verse, John 4, 18b. It said, so the first part was, Whenever God, wherever God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out all fear. In the next part, it continues, It is the thought of punishment, negative consequences that makes a person feel fearful. It's the thought of punishment. So as we look at this, what is the thought of punishment? And about negative consequences. How many times have you been afraid to tell the truth because of the consequences? Now, I have a very creative youngest son. And, um, and Amy can tell you that from having him in Sunday school. Um, and he likes to do things that probably aren't the holiest. Um, but he just is very ornery and creative. He gets that from me. And in doing so... 
he came home one day and um, was asked to tell me, tell, I, here's how the conversation went. And I'm going to protect him, so I won't tell you what he did. Um, but he says, that the conversation went like this. I walked to the door and Melissa goes, tell your father what you did in Sunday school. And it wasn't horrific. Amy's still here. Okay. Um, so, and he says, <laughs> he, he kind of mumbling. Don't spank me. I have no clue what you're talking about. Don't punish me. Like, what are you talking about? What did you do? <laughs> and he, and eventually, he, then he takes off running, and he's far across the room. And then he tells me, it's really funny. And then he, uh, well, it wasn't funny, but it was. Um, and then he runs away and hides. You know why? Because it wasn't the fear of what he did. He had a good time doing it. It was the fear of the consequences to his actions. And many of us are like him. We spend time doing that. We're afraid of the con- consequences. How many times have you gone, um, gone out and you didn't want to say what you really believed because of the consequences that may happen? You hold back so many times. You hold back a lot of yourself. There are people that have been married for 50 years that hold part of them, themselves back because they're afraid of the consequences that'll happen if they actually open up and reveal themselves. So, okay, Jack, I got this love thing. So how do I learn to live in that love? And that's how we're going to finish up here today. Um, and we're going to do this with a couple different things. How do I go ahead and do that? Well, number one, every day, every day, how do I learn to live in God's love? Every day, surrender my heart to God. Every day, surrender my heart with, to God. Last week, we talked about emotions. We talked about that is the biblical word for uh, the biblical word for emotions is heart, our heart. It's a symbol of our center of our emotions. So be, when you get up in the morning, and I really, I've been making it, uh, I've been really trying to make this part of my deal um, every day before I get up. God, before I even start this day, I surrender the center of my emotions, my heart to you. God, I want you to be the Lord of my feelings, Lord of my emotions. I want you to control my mind and emotions, my mind and my heart. I surrender it to you. I want you to fill me with your love. Why? Because God is love. And where that love is, you get closer to God, the more he fills your heart with love. The further away you get from God, the more fear occurs. The more worry, the more insecurity, the more hopelessness fills you. um, Let's look at these things. In Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 18, it's a long, it's a rather longer verse, um, but you might even want to memorize, even if it's longer. It says, surrender to your, surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Let me say that again. Even those you do in secret. You can do that first thing in the morning. You can sit on the side of your bed. You can say, God, I want to surrender uh, my heart to you. God, I know that I'm going to do some stuff that's going to be what you want me to do. I want to give that up too today before I get there. Uh, Surrender your heart and turn to him and pray that your sins you do in secret. Then, notice the benefits. You have a statement, then you have benefits. Then you won't be ashamed. Shame will banish from your life because you've already committed it. You've already been honest with God. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath the bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than the noon. Then you will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. Does anybody want that of your life? Look at what it says here. You have three commands and eight promises in that verse. I like things like that. Three commands and eight promises. Every promise has a premise. Surrender your heart to God. God, I want to give you my emotions and everything. Turn to Him in prayer. 
talk to him in prayer. Give up your sins. That's called confession. When you confess, you say, God, what I was doing, I was wrong. The attitude was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You need a clean heart. And he says, okay, you do this, then you get eight benefits. That's a good trade-up for me. Three to eight. If I was going to give you $300 for $800, I would take that bargain. You're going to take that verse and write it everywhere you have. It should be the screen that comes onto your computer. So you can say, I'm going to do these three promises, and I'm going to receive these. Test God on this. The next thing, every day I remember what do I remember? I remember the way God loves me. Pause every day and remember that if the world hates you, or you feel that way, that you have a God who loves you. Because if you don't feel like God, like you're loved by God, you're not going to feel like you're loved by anybody else. So I have to remind myself to do that. How do I do that? There are four things to think about when I think about how God loves me. Number one, recognize that I'm loved because I'm completely accepted by God. And that's important because my deepest wounds are those that are caused by rejection. And we spend much of our lives trying to earn the acceptance and rejection of parents and friends or so-called friends. We even spend so much time trying to get, uh, get a pat on the back from people we don't even know. Have you ever wondered why somebody you never see any time that you really care what they think? But we spend a lot of time doing that. We want the respect. We want to be accept, accepted. There's a myth that says, if I could just be perfect, everybody would like me. But guess what? Jesus was perfect, and a lot of people hated him. Here's the good news. You don't need everybody's approval to be happy, and here's the bad news. You're not going to get in anyway. A lot of times we say, you know what? I only have... 900 friends on Facebook and Bill has 2,000. They just don't like me as much as him. Titus, the book of Titus, it writes this, Jesus made us acceptable to God. Jesus settled your acceptable nature to God. What Jesus did on the cross, your acceptance of what Jesus did on the cross, you are made acceptable to God. Even in the mess that you're in now. So that's the first thing. The next characteristic that we look at is I'm unconditionally loved. Not, a, not only am I t completely accepted, but I'm unconditionally loved. That's what God does. It's called agape love. And there are two characteristics of God's love. It's consistent and it's unconditional. God doesn't just wake up one day, or just when you wake up one day, say, Psh, I'm going to mess with Jack today. I just don't feel like it. You know, Mars was spinning out of kilter and it took me all night. I'm going to mess with him today. That's not how it works. God's love is unconditional and it's consistent. He says, I love you, period. Yeah, I know what you did, but guess what? I still love you. You know, I love you so much, I took my son and let him be nailed to a cross and let him suffer and bleed and die because I love you. Matter of fact, read what the book says. Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. If that's not love, I don't know what is. Isaiah 54.10 says, My love for you will never end, says the Lord. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear in the sermon today. My love for you will never end. Third thing, I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. Why am I carrying shame? Why am I holding on to that shame? Because guess what? I'm totally forgiven. Do you realize that before you were even into being, that God knew 
those bad mistakes and those sins, shall we be churchy, that you were going to make? God knew that before he even created you. He knew the problems you were going to cause your parents. He knew the struggles that you were going to cause in relationships. He knew that you were going to turn your back on him, and yet he still loves you in that way. Romans 8, 1 says, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Our sins are wiped out. God doesn't rehearse it. He releases it. Number four, I'm considered extremely valuable. I am considered extremely valuable by God. Let me ask you a question. How much do you think you're worth? If, if somebody came and said, I want to buy you, how much are you worth? Honestly. Think about that question. I'm not talking, I'm talking about your own personal value. How much do you think you're worth as a person? And let me ask you another follow-up question. What is it that makes you valuable or makes something valuable? There are two things that make something valuable. Who owns it? The value depends on who owns it. For instance, if I was up here selling a toothbrush and said, I have a toothbrush for sale. Would anybody like to buy a toothbrush? I say, this toothbrush was used by John Lennon. You gonna buy it? You wouldn't? I bet you I put that sucker on eBay, it would go up. If, what if I said, you can buy John Lennon's toothbrush or mine? And I have a couple of those for sale if you'd like to see me after church. Um, it's the person who has it is valuable. Like George Washington slept everywhere and they put signs up. I've slept a lot of different places. Nobody's ever put a sign up for me. But George Washington slept here. He, was, he probably got tired all day. They go with another sign, you know. You know. It's who owns it is one of, the, one of the things. And the next thing is, what's somebody willing to pay for it? You know, you can get on the internet on Zillow and find out how much your house is worth, but it ain't worth that unless somebody wants to pay it. Am I right? It's a matter of what you want to pay. I've seen people before say, oh, I had this car and I put all this money into it and I want to sell it for this. And somebody said, mm, nobody buys it. And you're like, what's the problem here? It's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Who do you belong to? Who owns you? God does. You're a child of God. Look what it says here in the Bible. You've been bought with a price and paid for by Christ's death. You've been bought with a price and paid for by Christ's death. Value depends on what somebody's willing to pay for. And guess what God was willing to pay for you? His son. You're valuable to him. You're so valuable to him. If nobody's willing to pay a price, it's not worth anything. But God was willing to pay the price of his son, Jesus, for you. That's how valuable you are. So when you get up in the morning, do you remember, I am valuable no matter what my boss says, no matter what anybody else thinks of me, I'm valuable because, I'm, because God loves me. Last thing today, the last way of how to live in God's love. We have surrender my heart to God, remember the way God loves me. And last thing, here's the tough one. Every day I offer. I offer that same love to others. Every day I offer that same love to others. John 13, 34 says, Jesus said this, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Remember we just said what we're worth. We're worth that Jesus gave his life up for us. He who had no sin became sin on our behalf. Uh, 
he, he looked at the cross and scorning its shame, considered it pure joy to take the cross. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you intimately. And then when I go out in the world, am I going to love others the same way? Will that transform your relationships in life? If you begin to love others the way Jesus loves you, you bet. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Circle just as. Just as Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, never, love, and this is one that you hear a lot at weddings. Lever, love never stops being patient. Do you have some people who get on your nerves? If not, come on over. I'll, I'll introduce you to some. <laughs> Me being the biggest one. Um, love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. You got somebody you're giving hope up on? Somebody you think their lives are hopeless? It's a relationship you think is hopeless? Don't stop believing. And no, I'm not going to go into the journey song. I want to. I want to so bad. Um, you guys did too, didn't you? So, um, one of the greatest. Okay. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. There's four nevers there. This is how God loves you. God never stops being patient with you. God never stops believing in you. God never stops hoping in you. God never gives up on you. So don't do that with other people. Offer that love with other people. Extend that love to other people. Don't stop believing as an expression of faith. God says, I believe in you. Love extends. When we do that, love extends grace, which is undeserved favor, and expresses faith. Three, love expects the best. It never stops hoping, and it never gives up. You need this message today. I need this message today, and God spoke to you, and you know it. Praise team, please come up. If you want to transform your relationships, then I'm going to invite you to follow me in a prayer. I want you to stand where you are, and the lights will drop down. We have an altar if you want to go ahead and get really naked before God and vulnerable and just say, God, you know, stepping out from this pew, I, you know, I got to let my, my, my strength and masculinity down to just get still before my daddy. And I'm just going to say this prayer. So say this prayer in your mind as I go through it. Dear God, I admit that I made a mess in my relationships. They're complicated. They're broken. And they're not the best. I've often settled for less than best and they need transformation. And God, before you change them, I'd like you to begin by changing me. Deliver me from the three fears that I've learned about today. I can see how they make me distant, defensive, and even demanding. So today, and in each day from now on, I want to surrender my heart to you. I'm doing this right now. As we, as we started by singing, I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue, a part of that is just surrendering my heart and my emotions to you. I want to learn to live in my life in love for you, filled with your love. Please replace my shame with your love, and when I'm afraid to let others see the real me, remind me of how you see me. Remind me of who I am in you. Thank you that you accept me completely. I thank you that you love me unconditionally. And all of you just say thank you to God in your minds and in your hearts that he forgives you totally and that he paid a price because he finds you extremely valuable. 
So now, dear God, help me accept others as you've accepted me. Help me love others unconditionally the way you've loved me. And help me forgive others totally just as they have forgiven me. And help me value others as much as you value me. I want to be known as a loving person. I want to be a person where love just radiates from them. Help me extend undeserved favor and love, which is known as grace to people around me. And help me express faith in the people around me, even when they mess up. And help me expect the best in the people around me. And help me endure and be patient and hoping and never give up when it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. I want to live my life in love. And I humbly ask this in your name. There's so many questions in my life and in my relationships. And God, I know you have the answers. And I'm just going to submit my life to you today. In Christ's name, amen. Glory, God is what our hearts long. 
a song, but you know what? It doesn't matter because I want you guys to sing it more than us anyways, but this song is called You Never Let Go, and it's just, you know, we forget that, you know, we got to do what Jack said in that message, you know, we got to let, let fear out the back door, let love in the front door, fear out the back door.
relationships and, and as the verse of scripture our memory verse this week from first peter says above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins have a great week which leads me to the day.